0: all right all right all right my guest today is the one the only mary lyon if you have spent any time in southern california over the last several decades chances are you have either heard her on the radio or seen her in some sort of reporting capacity on tv mary was at uci from 1971 to 1975 she received a bachelor of arts degree in studio art and was also a dj and news director at kuci back in the day From there, she spent literally an entire career on local or national radio or TV. Her credentials include time spent at KLOS, KTLA, NBC, KLSX, KFWB, KPFK, KEARTH, Associated Press, KNAC and Boss Radio KHJ, and the list goes on and on. She has recently retired and is literally packing up to move to Oregon as we speak. We are lucky to have her today. Welcome, Mary.
1: Ah, thank you, Kevin. I am delighted. Fantastic. And when did you actually
0: retire? Was there an official...
1: Oh, (laughs) okay. Well, I retired in 1996 from, I guess you would call it, full-time, day-to-day broadcasting, where you go into the newsroom, you go out in the field, you cover stuff, you come back, you anchor, you report, whatever. However, from there, I had written a book about some of my experiences, and it came out the next year, and my publicist was anxious to get me visible again and so I not only went back on the radio in various interviews but I got roped in on HGTV as the crafty mom because a lot of the reason why I retired was I had two small children at home and I was tired of hearing that oh, you know, it took his first step today, and right. oh she ate her first solid food, oh, and right. you know oh man, I can't miss. you know, so, right. so and then I, I've i been an artist and a crafter all my life mm-hmm. and I, I taught the children all kinds of crafting, and their friends, and my publicist got interested in that, and hey, how about HGTV? So I did a guest slot on a show that was called Smart Solutions in the morning aimed at women who were basically homemakers and mothers and stuff yeah. you could do with your kids blah 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 yeah. so I, they called me back to do more segments so regularly uh, that and the Carol Duval show that I, be, I was a semi-regular there for a long time and so were my kids because we needed spokesmodels we needed demonstrations and oh here are two kids over here at the craft table doing what you know she's talking about so I guess oh heavens i'm not really sure when i actually <laughs> retired yeah i i found that your career such as it is it evolves and you open right. a new chapter and you do something new and you build on that and you discover a new path and you know it just kind of builds uh, like legos
0: right right it'll be very interesting to see this new chapter in oregon and and where that goes. So and you're such a out there go-getter. I'm I wouldn't be surprised if we hear or see you in the future up up there. So, hey, w- just real quick, what was the name of the book?
1: The Frazzled Working Woman's Practical Guide to Motherhood. <laughs> I think it's out of print, but I wrote and illustrated it and I but there was one book signing where man, they came out to man, you sold a lot of books, you know. So, yeah, yeah. we we did move a few units. Not a lot, but I made the Saturday Today Show at one point, and because there were stories from the road, stories from when I was like you know a thousand pounds pregnant and had to haul all this radio equipment around on. Uh, you know, one of those little stewardess caddies before they had suitcases and totes with wheels on them. Oh my God! And had to lift and and wheel this along behind me. Needed two seats sometimes because I was so big, and there you know there were experiences I had. <laughs> <laughs> like the last story I covered before my daughter Elizabeth was born. Uh, she's 28 now. Was the Zsa, Zsa Gabor cop slapping trial?
0: Oh, okay.
1: At the time, I was working uh, at the AP, AP Broadcast Services, as the West Coast-based entertainment reporter, because they were expanding there. And the last story that I was even remotely involved in before my son was born, he's now 25, was the L.A. riots. (laughs) Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: uh, (laughs) And that was
1: pretty interesting, too, by the way, because we were at, I think it was the People's Choice Awards in Universal City, and all of the usual suspects in the press, like, you know, the camera guys and Mm -hmm. the audio guys and reporters, like, for Entertainment Tonight was there, and all these, you know, CNN, Showbiz Today was there, and all of a sudden, all these people started packing up and leaving, and the show wasn't near over. You know, we were still backstage, and uh, celebrities were still coming back to talk about their awards, and they were all on their cell phones which were a lot heavier back then. Right. And talking to the bureau saying, No, you better go over to like Florence and Normandy or no, you gotta get downtown. To half the you know, Parker yeah. Center's burning, you know. Yeah. And it's like, Wow, what's going on? What's yeah. going on? And yeah. all of a sudden there we were, the few of us who were still covering Primetime and Feature Film right. Gee, half the press corps disappeared. Right. And when I drove back to the bureau to process all the tape, as I got closer and closer to downtown where the LA or the, the AP bureau in Los Angeles was located, mm-hmm. still is. I could smell the smoke of the yeah. fires, yeah. and it was like, oh, I see. Yeah, right, <laughs> you know? right. Right.
0: Did you have any other specific experiences during, you know, in covering the the LA riots? Then was that 19? 19...
1: That was 1992. Okay. And it happened on a Wednesday. My husband kept me home on Thursday. And uh, I got in some trouble with the, <laughs> the assistant managing editor. You're supposed to go down there. Your press tags will t- it'll get you through the police lines. And you know, Bruce said, not with my baby, you know. Mm-hmm. And so then I went in Friday to finish. And I was about to go out on maternity leave. Michael arrived a couple of weeks later. So I was out then for the amount of time I had planned to be out. And gotcha. they had my substitute all ready to go.
0: Was that the biggest story of your career, do you feel like? Or, or, or was there a bigger one?
1: Oh, man.
0: Uh, Yeah, anything that stands out.
1: Oh, well, (laughs) there were all kinds of big stories. There was one story I actually broke for the entire AP, which meant the AP broke it for the whole world, which was this. (laughs) And it's, you know, really kind of insignificant, but I mean, Mm -hmm. I got the byline. Right, yeah, it It was your breaking Um, news. It was. Elizabeth Taylor getting out of the hospital for the, I don't know what number of time, but she was in there for a long time at St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica for infections and complications. And, you know, she wasn't a very healthy woman. And so this was a a big story for entertainment, and L.A. is an entertainment town, so there you are. The press was all there in the front of the hospital where the officials were going to come down and the microphones, the podium was set up and all this jazz. And I kind of, that's sort of my neighborhood. And so I kind of strolled around down the side street, just on a lark to the loading dock. Yeah,
0: yeah. it was intuitive. And and check this out.
1: I see this, not a stretch town car, but a Lincoln town car Mm -hmm. with the smoky windows. And I thought, "Hmm." hmm... Mm-hmm. And, you know, because by by the time you do this for a while, you get used to the fact that the celebrity is probably going to sneak out a side door
3: mm-hmm. or go
1: in a side door. Mm-hmm. And so maybe sometimes that's where you ought to be. And so I was there and at the AP, uh, the print side, um, it, it, they, they, it, when they're ready to cover a story and they know it's something like that where you kind of know what, you know how it's going to come out you write the entire story except for the first per- paragraph mm. and so all you have to do is you got the whole background and everything leading up to this and their credentials whoever they are you're talking about and um all you have to do is fill in the blanks at the top to make it, here's what just happened moments ago. Mm-hmm. And so they were ready. They even had the first paragraph pretty much written.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: all I had to do basically was call the Bureau and say, ah, she's out. And <laughs> as I stood on the sidewalk, this car came up the driveway and left, and I could just barely see somebody waving to me, uh-huh. you know, a, it looked like a, a very elegant looking female.
2: Yeah.
1: And I said, yeah. okay. And yeah. so I called the Bureau. I said, she's out. Boom, that story went out on the wires about 10 seconds later. Wow. And uh, then everybody in the front waiting for the press conference got the word and like, wow. And yeah. so when I got back to the Bureau downtown, it had already been on the wires for an hour and a half by then. And they gave me the byline.
3: Ah, yeah, Which neat.
1: I was thrilled about. I mean, as yeah. I'm packing, I know that, you know, the, the wire copy that I saved I, yeah. is in there somewhere because, wow, the Associated Press. I right, mean, right. That's,
0: that's a big deal. I was recently at a cybersecurity conference in New York, and I was hanging out with Wall Street Journal reporters, and I was just like, my, uh, my gosh, I'm... I'm here with Wall Street Journal reporters, and I, and I actually asked one of the lead guys, do you pinch yourself? And he goes, man, every day I get up, I am grateful. I can't believe I'm a writer for the Wall Street Journal. Oh,
1: man. You know what? Um, when I was at the AP, I, was, uh, I worked with Pulitzer Prize winners, yeah. which uh, which made me pinch myself every day. Yeah. There was this one story where it's like the inane and the sublime are walking hand in hand. Oh. Or maybe they're Siamese twins. Uh, I guess it's conjoined twins now, mm-hmm. the, the proper term. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was covering Sybil Shepherd getting her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. <laughs> I did a lot of those. And yeah, they were, yeah. you know, it, everybody loved people's stories, so my right. stuff just automatically, by default, got a lot of coverage. Mm-hmm. And there she was, and yeah, nah, 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 and I was, you know, behind the, the red rope with all the other press and all this yeah. stuff. And down in front of me, crouched on the sidewalk, just like, just inside the red rope, was a fellow named Nick Ute, U-T. And it just, it blew my mind, uh, because he was a photographer. He just recently retired from uh, AP Photo. He's the guy who took the picture of that Screaming, naked little girl oh in my Vietnam. God. Oh, my running, God. The, I, I c- mean, I'm getting chills as I'm the, talking about yeah. it. Running down the country road. She'd just been napalmed. Right, right. And he took that picture, and he won a Pulitzer Prize for it. And there he is on hands and knees down in front of me right. taking pictures of Sybil Shepherd getting her star right. on the walk of it. Yeah. It's like, this is...
0: If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. It's
1: like, <laughs> I, I'm not worthy to touch the hem of his garment, right, okay? Right, right. And he was, and I, I know still is, just the nicest, most self-effacing, unassuming, yeah. you know. The, it was Every time I walked into the AP, it was like a room full of Clark Kent, yeah. mild-mannered, and there was t- not t- a Superman t- among them. It, and there was another one I worked with, Reed Saxon who took a picture of Bill Clinton on saxophone at the Arsenio Hall show. Mm. And that went into a package of campaign '92 photos that the AP also won a Pulitzer Prize for. So, gotcha. it's like wow. And then Bob Thomas, who was the dean of Hollywood reporters and retired while I was there, who had been the reporter at the Ambassador Hotel, who had called in the shooting of Bobby Kennedy oh and broke that story to the world. And oh. I was working with you know who me? Right, you know right, right. I I I'm not even worthy of breathing the same. Mary is some of those people. Well,
0: hey, excuse me just for a moment, Mary. For those of you who joined us late today on KUCI, you are listening to UCI Conversations. I am your host, Kevin Bossenmeier, and I'm visiting with local radio and TV reporter Mary Lyon, who graduated from UCI in 1975 and has permanently retired recently, even though I'm not sure I believe it. And (laughs) She spent her career in local radio and TV. It's great to be here with you, Mary. First of all, I wanted to ask you, what kind of art did you do when you were at UCI?
1: Um, <laughs> uh, uh, That that's the answer. I did that. We called them process paintings. Oh. And, oh gosh, it was the most fun. Well, a lot of this stuff was the most fun I've ever had with my clothes still on. Um, <laughs> and, uh, there were some really wonderful and, oh gosh, I'm running out of adjectives to describe them. Some of the people in the art department who were they really let it all hang out and let you let it all hang out. They mm. wanted you to push the envelope. They wanted yeah. you to, to free up and not feel so confined or constricted to you know conventional like you know still lifes or whatever. Yeah. And they really almost forced the top of your head open. And Phil Leder in art history, who founded Art Forum, the magazine, just, I mean, you could not get into his lectures in the social sciences building because they're just, you know, the auditorium there, was like, uh, you know, there's a standing room only crowd. Yeah. And I started doing these random dumb things that were basically it looked like you instead of a six by six foot canvas where, where we also learned to make our own stretcher bars. It would look like a piece of concrete or a piece of something really solid and textural. My boyfriend at the time was the general manager of Ryan Hardware down in Costa Mesa, and so I got his, I used his employee discount to buy paint, plaster, tools, glitter, ground glass, or whatever, and this one piece I laid out on the ground, on the pavement, by uh, Mariposa in Mesa Commons, where that was my dorm that year, Mm -hmm. and bred this canvas out, and just started dropping stuff on it. And I think I had a bottle of Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill at the time to, you know, as a refreshment while I was working. And I'd, I'd sprinkle some of that on there, you know, <laughs> and I'd add some plaster and I'd squirt some paint and some Elmer's glue and little rocks and things. And this one particular one I did in my boyfriend's backyard on his patio. And it was this huge mass and like, wow, what is it? You know, like somebody cut a piece of concrete out of the, you know, the shoulder of the freeway. And uh, I let it dry overnight, and I was going to take it in the next day. It was the final project. And my boyfriend had to help me, and I went out the next morning to for it to dry. And it had dried all right. I didn't realize that I had put it under this tree that shed all of these board oh my. on it. Yeah. As I looked closer there had been a little centipede that had crawled up and gotten stuck. Oh. And I mean and I was my heart sank. Oh. So, and but this was all I had, you yeah. know. Yeah. So we yeah. put it on top of his little old Ford Falcon and, you know, I'm holding it on one side and the passenger side with the window open. He's right. holding it on the other side. You know, sort of a trunk of a blue Chevy art moving company, you know. <laughs> and uh <laughs> we got it to school. I, I, you know, he helped me get it up into the, you know, the, the studio where we were going to be graded our final project, and I hid in the back of the room. I was so <laughs> humiliated. This is like I'm going to get an F for sure. And the teacher came out, and he was going through them, and there was mine. And he finally got to it, and he stopped, and he started sucking air. as <gasps> said, Oh my God! No.
2: Oh, my God. Who did this? This
1: is brilliant. <laughs> oh, my. This, this is brilliant. I can't believe this. This could hang in the Nicholas Wilder Gallery any day of the week. Oh, my God. Who did this? And everybody else who had put a lot more effort into you know they looked at me and I was like, oh, okay. yeah. gee. And I would, D- oh, yeah. I still wanted to go hide. Yeah. yeah. But I got an A. Good. <laughs> hey. That's
0: fantastic. Was Chris Burton in your class back in those days? Do you know who Chris Burton is?
1: Mm, the name rings a bell. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, I, I just found out this week that he is... You know the iconic L.A. street light display? I think it's in front of the Museum of Contemporary Art.
2: Yeah. He,
0: yes. from
1: UCI, he designed that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Just the most amazing things. Yeah. and But... You know, Ed Burrell and Pat Alt, and, you know, there were a few of them who just really wanted to force you to think outside the box, mm-hmm. to force you to dare to do something that you just never would have thought, oh, no, this isn't going to go anywhere. And and to find art in the most amazing, random, odd, unexpected, you know, kinds of things, It you know, that... That really just, it opened my mind mm. even more, then, and it's some of the happiest times I had, and the and just, it was so much fun, I met so many cool people, I envied so many people's different art styles and painting styles, and I, I thought there were some of them, I couldn't touch the hem of their garments, mm, okay, mm. it just was... That art department, man, the, the best, the best, the best, the best, the and, best.
0: And they've just, they've been growing, the whole school's been growing exponentially. What, did you know when you came out of school that you were going to go into media?
1: Well, I hoped to. I thought when I entered college that i was going to be a commercial artist because i did art i was the art kid in mm-hmm. high school uh-huh. and grade uh-huh. school i did all the bulletin boards and the cartooning in the uh, school Where, newspaper where'd you grow up west la oh, okay uh, since i was nine uh, uh, but then in freshman year you know in orientation week there was this big banner in mesa commons that said kci come be a dj see the world and uh-huh. i thought Hmm. Uh Because I'd also been the editor of the school paper, and so I was a little bit newsy, and I was kind of a news junkie anyway. I went up there, and you learned, first of all, back then, that you had to have a third-class uh, FCC license with a broadcast endorsement For which you had to study And I remember having to you know, Drive up the freeway to the FCC office In downtown LA to take a test
2: mm-hmm.
1: And you had to know About meter readings And the, the height of towers And where the red lights went And why and you know, all this stuff yes. Because back then in order to sign on the station or sign it off or do any of the logs or whatever and be legal, you had to have one of these little licenses. Engineer Dave McHugh, who was the engineer then, and I think he just recently retired, keeping a, a relationship with KUCI up until the, you know he left. Okay. He was the only guy with a first-class license, so he mm-hmm. could touch all the equipment and work on it. it. They they said you had to get a license to you know to get a show. I went and studied and got a license. K Back and they gave me one of the eight to ten a.m. You know, sign on the station shows. You know, morning. I think it was Tuesday morning. I kind of forget. And and
0: this was at KUCI. Yes, it was. But you had to go through those hoops to just get a show on on college radio because you know it's all changed now.
1: Yeah, and we didn't have a faculty moderator. It Mm -hmm. was just we were doing. We used to call it. You know, we had ten sour cream fed watts you know, with with a little mouse on the treadmill. (laughs) And it had started, I guess, in a closet um, in the engineering building or something and then expanded, and it was up above, uh, it was in Gateway Commons. Right. And now it's moved to these wonderful studios you have there, you know, currently. Right, right. And, yeah, there was, you know, there was the air booth and the prod stud, (laughs) 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 you know, the production studio. Oh, God,
0: we had fun there. Well, just for the listeners out there who are students, this is still available to you. There are classes every quarter. God,
2: that's great.
0: And this is an invitation for students to get involved with college radio. It's a fantastic experience. I have just entered college radio this year, or actually 2017, and would just highly recommend it, no matter what your major, because you'll be in a family of of students from all over campus, and also you know, members of the community, and I just can't recommend it more.
1: Neither can I, and it might turn your head around. Beware. You might decide you want to go into the news biz, which I did, because about halfway through I'd done an internship at one of the stations here in town and came back with news experience, and so they made me news director in my junior year, and I started thinking, oh, God, graduation's coming up in a couple of years. Well, I'm pretty good at this, and I love it. Yes. Uh, how about, do I dare try my hand at it? Yeah. And right about that same time was when the FCC had made it clear to stations from coast to coast that um, uh, there's another talent pool out there, it's female, you need to start adding women, mm. hello. Because when I first, the first day at KUCI, when I just went up to like an orientation meeting there, I thought, ooh, this is a great way to meet guys. Because <laughs> I was, you know, for 60 st- uh, people there... There might have been four girls. Yeah. And in fact, you know, we were joking that KSCI is a full service radio station because it not only gave me a career, it gave me a husband. That's where I met Bruce, <laughs> uh, who went by, <laughs> his, his name is Bruce Gossard. He graduated the same year as I did, but he's four years older, so he had a, a gap year or three or four. He did the incredible Johnny Quick with a, you know, top 40 voice, you know, one of those, you know, choking voices, <laughs> and he played all kinds of random stuff. And I used to wonder who that nice guy was in the afternoon, who was promoing my show at night. Gee whiz, he has great taste,
3: and uh, <laughs> and
1: you know so did I because I found him as he found me. I was the first woman to have a continuing primetime show. There was another young woman there right at the beginning named Mary Fry, who was on briefly at night, but she disappeared. She didn't stay with it, I think, you know, just for like a few weeks. So I came along, and I got the first 9 to midnight show on Wednesday nights. It was Mary Lyons' Den, and it was a request show, and it was totally raucous. And boy, did we have fun there until the Arab oil embargo came and, like, shut some of it down. Because Mm -hmm. every Wednesday night, someone, Alex Bohr or Rich Rohan or some of the people there, Leonard Tamura, would take orders for Tommy Burgers. Mm-hmm. And they'd wind up with like twenty or twenty four twenty six orders of double cheese you know chili gut bombs, and they'd get in alex's yellow v w bug and drive all the way up the freeway to Beverly and ramparts in downtown, oh LA. my gosh. Yes, and order all these cheeseburgers, bring them home like two boxes worth, and the time it took, if they left about 6 o'clock, they'd get back at 9 when I went on the air. And so it became a Tommy Burger, like Bacchanal, and people were in the, the lobby area hollering requests, and the phone was ringing from the dorms, and like Santa Ana and stuff, and the, you know requests, and I was playing all kinds of rowdy music, and I was proud to be the Segway Queen. Because I really got into, you know, the end of one record fading into the start of another record, mm-hmm. and you really couldn't tell because it was either the same beat,
3: yeah, uh, yeah, the same yeah. instrument, yeah, yeah. the same,
1: and, and there, I mean, you could really go out there. And I tried. And so it was a very fun show, and it, it generated a lot of activity. And there was always a party going on <laughs> out in the lobby with everybody's cheeseburgers. And I had a lot of paper towels, so I'd keep the grease from the burger off of the records. And I, I tried to be very good at that.
0: Excellent. Now, Led Zeppelin played UCI, I think, 1968. Did you know people who had gone to that concert? or Obviously, they were unknown at the time.
1: Yeah, no, they that was long gone... Steely Dan came to play in Crawford Hall, oh, okay. and uh, um, Tim Weisberg, who was a regional favorite, yes. and it <laughs> was the, the first time, or one of the first, t- the early times that I was exposed to marijuana, and Tim Weisberg does such trippy music with his electric flute. He does. He will, He will get you high, whether you're you know, smoking or drinking anything or not. (laughs) And these, you know, you could see all the joints being passed down one line and, you know, then up the next row, and and that's, Uh you know, that's how it was done. And I took a hit, and... It's like, is this how I'm supposed to feel? I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. Am I, am I stoned? Is this it? And this music is playing, and the whole place is full of smoke, and everybody's tripping, and and Tim Weisberg is just like, oh, man, you know, um, when when God wants to smoke, God will put on Tim Weisberg. <laughs> wow.
0: That is a quote. That is a quote. Yeah. Well, and, and here we are. Two thousand eighteen, and marijuana has been legalized. It's just unbelievable.
1: Well, do I have time for another story? Yes, because here's something else we did that started at KUCI. I'll have you know, we were those of us who were you know uh, <laughs> almost like unofficial residents there. I used to, I practically lived at that station back then, and there were there were times where you know finals week, they would go twenty four hours and we would be rocking all night long, and then we'd crawl under one of the tables in the lobby to sleep and then get up and go down to the, you know, the hourly donuts downstairs at the, you know, cafeteria and Mm -hmm. get donuts and cocoa and come back up and rock out some more. And I was an art student, so I could do that. Mm -hmm. I had lots of time. I didn't have to study for exams. So one day, a bunch of us were up there, you know, the usual gang of idiots, and this kind of, you know weird looking skinny little guy comes shuffling in we'd never seen him he wasn't a student and he had an acetate or you know one of those like homemade you could go to you know these little uh, airzap studios and if you wrote a song for your girlfriend and you could record it and you'd have it on this Mm -hmm. kind of kind Mm -hmm. of a record Mm -hmm. you know and he'd written this song called the power 18 and this was before this was when you know we all had to be 21 years old to vote mm-hmm. and he had this record and he wanted to know if we were interested in playing it as well let's hear it and so one yeah. of us put it on the turntable and it was hey you know this is this is a pretty decent song you know can we play it uh well yeah sure so we started playing the power 18 it was very catchy and it was upbeat and you know, that use the power 18 and vote, da-da-da, 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 and he played his own guitar and all this. And it was a very compelling little melody, and back then that was a big issue for us. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we, at one of the conference calls with a few of the other UC radio stations, like Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. uh, Riverside, there were a couple of others who were there, you know, regularly, and we told them about it, and fed it to them. They started playing it, wow. and it started taking off. Yeah. And, you know, the very next opportunity there was to change the law, the law changed. Oh. So I mm-hmm. think we at KUCI had a lot to do with that. Wow.
0: Excellent, excellent. Yeah. How about advice? You know, First of all, is it okay if we go a little over, Mary?
1: I would love to. Oh, fantastic. I, I'm yours as long as you want me.
0: Oh, thank you. DJ Jericho is a great guy. His show coming up is The Color Spectrum, and we'll just work it out. So please stay tuned. The Color Spectrum will be coming up soon. How about advice for students in media and or just their career? You know, looking back, do you have any suggestions or advice?
1: Well, I could use my own experience and my husband's. who He, you know, took several gap years uh, finding himself or whatever, and some wise guidance counselor between Uh, Irvine and LACC told him just start taking classes just take anything look over the the schedule take something you never thought of taking before that Mm. you know is out of your element and he took a few one of them was a computer class Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the whole universe opened up for him he hadn't expected that Mm -hmm. and pretty soon he became as much of a hanger-on at the station like the rest of us did as in the information and computer science building Mm -hmm. And back when computers took up entire floors. Right. And he worked with Nobel Prize winners and he made quite a career out of, you know, the headhunters came looking for people when he was ready to graduate from Hughes Aircraft and Magnavox and all of these, you know, wonderful companies. And they all got hired, great jobs, great pay, especially for that era. And, you know, it just. You know, try something. Like, you know, I like to say uh, what got me into news was as news director in my junior year streaking. Was a big fad. Yes. You know, where suddenly it, it would be like, you know, we, we have flash mobs, or, you know, we, we have recently had those. This was like a, a naked mob where all of a sudden all these naked people would go running through Central Park. Or, you know, right. uh, one guy even did it at the Oscars behind David Niven, right. who then quipped, Oh, yeah, see we have someone showing his shortcomings. <laughs> and um, so we had a streaking contest at u c Irvine and of course, it was such a big event that it had to be covered, and it had to be covered by me and There were a few girls and about like you know nineteen guys, and you know a lot of all the jokes about what well, gee, where do I point the microphone and all this stuff and but it was just shriekingly funny and And, of course, the winners got invited onto my show, you know, (laughs) the (laughs) next night. I realized just, hey, you know, this is actually pretty cool. So, uh, Because originally I'd wanted to be a DJ, because that's what I originally did at the station. But news started coming to me. And just as a a happy accident because of the time and the era when, like, I read that Jane Pauley got the Today Show because she was young and nobody heard of her. She was the Indianapolis Ingenue, is what they called her. But she came with, you know, four years of live on-camera teleprompter experience. And bam, you know, she became a star. Yeah. And it, it was back when a whole bunch of other women got into broadcasting, mm-hmm. and I am so humbled to know that in a very small corner of that, I get to stand.
0: Neat. Do you feel like you had a, was there a high point? Did you, do you ever feel like, oh, you know, things just really came together, or I never expected to get this job, or, you know, do, do, you, do you have any sense of that?
1: A bunch of them. Ah. Uh, the first one was, well, just getting hired the first time anywhere by mm-hmm. anybody, mm-hmm. because I started in junior year with my credentials of having interned at KMPC in Los Angeles, which was, that's what 7, 10 a.m. was then. Hmm. And so I started see, writing letters. That was Gene, I, Aut-
0: I, Gene Autry I, Autry's I, station, right? Yeah. Did, would you ever see him by chance? No,
1: right? no. But I saw Dick Whittinghill. I saw hmm. Gary Owens. I saw Wink Martindale. Wow. I saw Jeff Edwards. I saw all these people. Yeah, so I, the names. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and all the celebrities who came in to talk to them and be on their shows. Hmm. And Kathy Gorey was the overnight, she did the graveyard shift, and she was the first lady jock. I think in town, and I'd come in at six o'clock in the morning as she was getting off. So I always heard her, and it was like, wow, could I do that? You know, but I was working in the newsroom. But it, it was just it, it, that was a thrill uh, getting hired at KNAC, which was my first paying job, two dollars and fifty cents an hour. <laughs>
2: wow. Um,
1: and uh, I used that in gas, getting down there and back, you know, every day from L.A. to Long Beach. But I eventually became news director there. And then my uh, I sent out 87 letters at the beginning. Went to the Southern California Broadcasters Association. I went to their offices and got this directory of all the stations. And it just, the spaghetti theory, you know, throw it, a bowl of spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. And out of 87 letters, I got... Eh, like a eh, you know a couple of dozen responses back, and some of them said thank you we're not interested or thank you we're not hiring and yeah, no, and no, no, no. and you know or there was a form letter but some of them said gee you sound like a nice kid we got nothing for you and you're starting up but you know come on in give you a tour of the station, and eventually I whittled that eighty 87- seven letter list down to six. And one of them was KNAC, one of them was KLOS, and one of them was KHJ, although by then it was different management than the people I'd written to. Mm. But when when I got hired at KLOS, oh, my God. I remember going in there the first morning to just observe, and I had to be there by 6 o'clock for when David Heller went on the air. He was the, morning, he was the news director and the morning anchor at KLOS, and I was working with Jeff Gonser and a, a number of great people. And I was supposed to come in there, and, and and I remember getting to the guard gate and buzzing, and the intercom came on. and said, you know, yes. And I said I, I gave my name, and you know, said I'm I'm here to observe, and said, yeah, okay, uh, you know, looking at the list, you know, uh, uh Mary Lyon, and I went yes, <laughs> 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 and. Uh, that was really something, driving in, finding a parking place at that station that I could do now because I was working
2: there. Yeah. And
1: every weekend when I'd drive home from Irvine, I'd have KLOS on and I'd be doing back announce, you know, to myself, rock and stereo, 95 and a half, KLOS Los Angeles, here's the Beatles, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And I couldn't believe that that was my dream station and I was working there on right. the air. I got I got a weekend news shift because they bailed out of ABC network and decided they wanted a live person. And by then I was on first name basis with a few of the management because I'd been writing to them and calling and you know checking in and mm-hmm. you know all that stuff. And they hired me. When I hired at uh, uh, when NBC Radio hired me, for this new young adult radio network called The Source, back in, during the days of AOR radio, album-oriented rock for the 18 to 34 demographic, I had to go to New York, and I didn't want to go to New York, but they flew me out, they interviewed me, and they, I guess they really wanted to hire me. I remember rubbing the N on the wall that little you know, the, the logo was this crazy sort of block. N for NBC back then. Fred Silverman was the head of the network, and I mean, you know, that was back in the day. And I rubbed it for luck. My soon-to-be boss thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever heard, and he (laughs) took me to lunch in Rockefeller Center, and said, you know, okay, here, you know, order anything. And so I looked at, oh, seafood salad. Okay, well, I'll try that. You know, here I am in Rockefeller Center. Oh my God, with this, you know, guy who's like, oh my, you know, I'm blithering here. And this bowl comes full of tentacles. Uh-huh. and I'd never eaten sushi before um, I learned to eat sushi going to New York for you know a few months to uh-huh. you know work there uh-huh. and and I was like I think I turned like five shades of green and my soon to be boss he, he laughed at me and he said hey I'm from Boston we eat anything you know <laughs> <laughs> so I picked at what I thought weren't tentacles and tried to, uh, I was so nervous I just you know I didn't even know what I was doing I, I couldn't have told you my name uh-huh. you know and when I I got hired to do that, and the deal was, I guess they wanted me badly enough that they were willing to let me come back to Burbank to be based there, but I had to go to New York as all the other founding correspondents did, uproot, you know, stay there, live in New York, learn it, you know, and and go to uh, 30 Rock every day up on the fifth floor where Network News was and where the network radio was. And I worked with Cameron Swayze, and I, I worked for Gary Nunn, and I, I worked with all these other people whose names you hear. Uh, some of them are still alive and still working. Gary Nunn is at CBS now. And, you know, you'd, you'd go down to the commissary and see Tom Brokaw mm. in line getting mm. coffee. Mm. You'd get on the elevator to go back up, and there'd be John Belushi, mm. you know, going up uh, several floors above you to go to the Saturday Night Live offices. It mm. was like a trip beyond all trips.
0: I bet.
3: And I
1: it's bet. like, pinch me. Yeah. And then when I got back to Burbank, and they had built a radio studio, it wasn't just for me because I think there was more radio starting to activate there. On the you know the the A network, which was like their AM version, we were the FM version, and they realized they were going to need it, so you know might as well have one. But I was the first one to inaugurate it, and I I anchored via satellite five times a day in the midday slot. Well. Yeah, it was, you know, I forget which it was, you know, time zone-wise, and I had a producer in New York, we'd get on the phone, we had this thing that was the size of a municipal garbage can, a big, huge, it looked like a wardrobe box, it was called the Rapifax machine. And you could stick your copy in there, and it would scan it and send it three thousand miles away, (laughs) and they could pick it up. I mean, you know, fax machines,
3: you know,
2: which are
1: kind of out trade now. (laughs) But it it was, you know, it was as big as a a high-boy chest of drawers. Yeah. And uh, so he'd get, you know, I'd call him back as soon as I faxed it. He looked it over, and he'd go through, you know, nitpick. Okay, on the first paragraph, third line, change the to those. Um, you know, and, and I've, it, it, sometimes it pissed me off ego-wise, because I was like, well, you know, who do you think you are? Yeah. And man, I got over that in a hurry, and I'm so glad I did, because by Jove, he made me a better news writer. Mm. And once I just, you know, okay, forget it, I came to love this man. And he came to love me, I mean, you know, platonically. Yeah. But I just, I learned more from that guy than I, you know, than I think I've learned from anybody. And I, I've learned basically three lessons that I'd love to pass along. Yes, please. Uh, from KMPC, I learned that my first lesson as an intern, and they let me work in the newsroom, but then they sent me out for a week with the night side guy who was covering crime and like bodies turning up in Echo Park and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and then they sent sent me out with the City Hall guy, a fellow named Lou Morton, and I covered City Hall and the Criminal Courts Building with him. And I'd tag along, and I'd write uh, my story and use what we both taped, and he'd write his story, and then he'd phone them both in. Mm -hmm. And I covered, you know, the the Daniel Ellsberg, the Pentagon Papers. Mm -hmm. John Ehrlichman was being indicted for his role in that, in L.A., and I remember sitting several rows behind him in the courtroom next to Lou Morton, scribbling down in my little reporter's notebook, and it kind of got slow and boring there for a minute, so I remember drawing... I I drew this little sketch of the back of John Ehrlichman's head, you know, with his bald spot Mm. and just, you know, kind of hunched over in the chair in his dark suit. And that was in the middle of my reporter's notes. And I I have it somewhere. (laughs) So Lou Morton taught me what happened. Ask yourself what happened. You know, you you ask yourself three things. First of all, is what happened? Mm. And if you start out covering the news, That's where you start. The second I learned from David Heller at KLOS, who taught me, like, you know, demographic, you know, stuff and, Mm. and, you know, know your audience, basically. Mm. Ask yourself, who cares? Mm. And, you know, uh, and report accordingly or pursue accordingly. Then uh, several jobs later when I was a writer, uh, segment producer at Channel 5, KTLA. The uh, executive producer there, Jerry Rubin, spelled with a G, was he always said, "What do we see?" Mm. And that's a key lesson for if you're working in television, pictures. You know, you have to write to pictures. You have to think. You know, whereas with radio, you've got the theater of the mind. And so it becomes a lot more important to be descriptive and eloquent and imaginative in, you know, how you talk mm-hmm. about, like, you know, the, the music that poured down the hillside from, you know, uh, the, the chapel where Sammy Davis Jr. was being memorialized before he was buried and all these crying people who were, had to be helped out of the church and, and the use of sound and all that jazz. But it's basically what happened, who cares, and what do we see?
0: I love it. Mary, I am sorry this time has gone by so fast. No kidding. I would love to keep going, but I don't think DJ Jericho will allow it. But will you please come back sometime? when you? I'd
1: love it. You can get me on the phone anytime you want it. And uh, DJ Jericho, (laughs) much love and thank you for being so kind and generous. That's just the KUCI way.
0: Fantastic. How about one other thing, Mary, in terms of media today versus several decades? ago any any observations about that social media is just exploding podcasts yeah any observation quickly
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, I just heard today that Mark Zuckerberg has decided that they're going to limit uh, information to, you know, stuff that uh, you get from friends and family, not outside businesses and, mm. <laughs> you know, uh, advocacy groups and things. Mm. going to cost him $2.9 billion. I don't think we have time to discuss yeah. and kick yeah. around have, all of that. You know,
0: yeah, how about the next time? We'll do yeah. that the next time. Uh,
1: I hope there will be because I'd love to continue this. I, could, I have a dead-air reflex, even though I'm not on the air anymore. I can talk and talk, and I can keep that needle moving.
0: All our best for 2018. Look forward to the next time.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Good
0: travels.